All right. So what's up, Carl? We're going live. Um, looks like we're live. Yeah, we are live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheers, brother. Skateboarders, welcome to TSM Live Show Season 3, Episode 8, the season finale. I am not your host, Tommy Zam. I'm actually the asshole behind the scenes that has to edit this shit. We had some technical difficulties and am now filling in. But just, just, just for the beginning, if it makes you feel more comfortable, I can just be Tommy for a little bit. Is that working? No? Alright, anyway. It's going to be a great fucking episode. We have the author of Thank You Skateboarding, Ricky Roberts III. And then, of course, the legendary Dave Swift. No introduction needed. And also music by Big Mother Gig. What else? Some commercials of cool shit. I don't fucking know. Roll it. Cheers. Star Barry, New York City's leaders in skateboard speed. And now, the number one leaders in skateboard tools. Yes, with our new RSB tool, your board will stay in tip-top shape, always looking its best. We pride ourselves in looking to the future and never to the past. Isn't that right, Mike? It's the tool every skater is talking about. With your new RSB tool, you'll truly skate like a rock star. It comes equipped to tackle all your board needs so that your nuts and bolts give your wood the support it requires. With RSB, we have your ass covered. So pick up an RSB tool today and give yourself the extra boost to be one of us. A winner! A rock star! Cause that's what we are, fool! What's up, Ricky? How you doing? Great, man. How you doing, Tommy? Woo. I don't know, man. It's about to be 35 degrees up here in Pennsylvania. So, was, was it down in St. Pete? Uh, today it's 72, 3, sunny. But I, I think it's getting cold this week, for at least for our standards. Maybe yeah. like in the 50s or something. Yeah, it's supposed to be like down to 35 for like next four or five days here at Ooh, night. That's hard on the bones. I know. I'll, I'll send it your way. <laughs> i'm gonna so, blow it back yeah exactly so hey how was the uh, skate park today man you always do a sunday session how was it uh yeah it was great man it was a good time and uh right before i left uh markovich just did this sick trick off the off one of the hips there so yeah it was a good time sunday morning crew is a lot of fun so hello to all the sunday morning crew i always love seeing everyone and just good vibes you know it's i'm grateful Oh, yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. And so you ready to get, to get into this? Yeah, man, I'm ready. I'm stoked, and thank you for having me, man. I appreciate what you do and just appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Hell yeah, homie. Well, look, let's uh, tell everybody, and there are some people that already know who you are that's watching. There's some that not. Let's just break down a little bio about yourself. Tell us a little about you. Um, you know, born and raised in St. Pete, Florida. I've been, been a skateboarder for over 30 years now. Um, 
kind of one of those people that grew up in a dysfunctional household and a lot of abuse and violence. Uh, I ended up stabbed nine times when I was 17 and just kind of like after that, that was a, a wake up for me. But um, skateboarding's always been that thing for me that's just get, you know, that out, that outlet to keep me pushing and keep me moving in so many areas of my life. So it's, um, you know, it's just, just grateful to, to have it in my life, but it's been, it's been a journey. You know, the writing came after the stabbing once I was, you know, getting out of the hospital, I was really reflecting on my life and the decisions I was making, the direction it was going. And I had some pain, man, some pain from childhood that I was expressing a lot through violence and just like, if it wasn't skating, oftentimes I was fighting and just kind of fueling that anger and hostility. And, um, after, like I said, after the stabbing, I started to write more than I was before and just journaling all of the time. And several years after that, working through my own stuff, I ended up releasing my first book and then just it's been an evolution journey ever since then. And thank you, Skateboarding is my eighth book. Oh, hell yeah, dude. And, yeah. and let's get back to, you know, when you were growing up um, a little bit. What was yeah. it like skateboarding? Because you grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida, right? I did. I did. And what was yeah. skateboarding like there when you were growing up? Um, it's amazing, man. The the St. Pete vibe, Tampa vibe, kind of Clearwater Seminole, that sort of those boroughs, if you will. We, you know, there was a one. It, skateboarding was small, but you know, in that extent, it was big because we all connected in in different ways. Um, but yeah, specifically St. Pete, I, I got to watch some some legendary shredders and uh, just. It was always good vibes. There wasn't a lot to skate. There were no parks or anything. So we we're like earlier in life when I started skating, doing random DIYs at uh, just closed down buildings or is just stacking pallets up with plywood, whatever we could figure out just to have stuff to skate. But it's yeah. good, good times, man. It's been awesome to watch the evolution for sure. Oh, yeah. And you remember your first skateboard? Yeah, my first legit board, uh, I had someone must have given me one before that when I first started skating and fell in love with it, but my first full complete, Christmas complete, you know, my first legit board, and it was on Christmas, but that's what, you know, we like to call it, was a Tony Hawk, the blue with red, like, sort of skull, that's Tony Hawk skull, um, yeah, and T-bone wheels, I think maybe Indy trucks. Dude, that's but, sick. Yeah, it was blue, had red grip tape, and I, like spent all this time cutting out designs around the you know, I had to have the PAL logo on the top showing. Yep. So it was like, oh So yeah, you, you had to you, you had to put the little design there, had to make Dude, sure the logos right there and everything. Absolutely, man. I had it all crazy. I think I might have tried to make some peace signs in it or something. The grip tape. <laughs> I, I spent some time on it. That was like, you know, back in the day you spent some time on your grip tape. It was part of putting this art piece together. Oh yeah, I mean, I used to, more art with it. Yeah, I used to cut it out and I like, put little designs, like little lines and stuff like that, and everything on it. Yeah. Now I just have one line I do down the middle, just something I like to do personally. But other than that, that's that's the extent of my cutting these days. And of course, yeah. cutting it out. But you know. Yeah, my new board I got. I had to get a. Uh, they didn't have Paradox Grip here, so I had to get a uh, Grizzly Grip. So now I use the Teddy Bear. And that's where my where the nose is and the tail is. Yeah, the bear is. That's that's where my nose is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice to have that. Oh yeah. So like growing up in St. Pete, so you know you didn't have skate parks. You mostly skated street. And like, was it like 
a lot harder to skate in St. Pete, like growing up skating in the streets, like you oh. get harassed by redneck cops, stuff like that. I mean, we always got harassed. There was like, I mean, the percentage of times we got into some sort of confrontation when we were out skating was pretty high back then, you know, um, just in general, if it was not people just driving down the road saying stuff or being out and catching weird vibes because we were skateboarders and then, you know, needing to stand our grounds. Um, other than that, as far as the, the town that was down on Sunday, there was one or two so it's like our playground and then uh like during the week there was always something that we could skate some sort of street spot we had random spots of, uh that we could get left alone for hours on end even if it was just a little curb out on the end of a parking lot that we could just skate consistently um there was there was stuff to skate but downtown it was man sun Sundays down there were amazing you just everywhere you look you'd see skateboarders and little packs just enjoying it downtown tampa too for a while oh yeah yeah that's sick dude and then like you said you go uh you grew up with like some big name skaters like who are they um i, I mean i got to see some really good shredding i you know the conklin brothers lance and scott got to be in on some sessions with those guys several times and seeing amazing skateboarding bo turner would always be blowing my mind with stuff that he was doing that was so far ahead of like what you might see you know um and john montesi he was always super cool and humble and just seeing him skate i wouldn't like skate with him as much as i would just see him out different places but he's always such a rad guy um yeah. shredding the stewart brothers there were all kinds of people man um yeah let's go you know not to mention like the immediate people i grew up skating with were all i feel like shredders in their own way and, and doing their thing you know, but beyond beyond those guys, it was just the the love of the scene, and just just like it is today, it's it's not what about about what you're doing so much, but it, as much as just being on your board and being out there and sharing the vibe and the love for skateboarding, and that's always something that um, I was stoked for. Didn't matter what someone that was doing necessarily, you know. Yeah, 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 definitely. And then you, you said but, something. That, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say like. I always think so many sessions that happened and stuff they did that was never documented that now I look back, I'm like, man, I wish there were more cameras around back then because it's, yeah, my mind is always thinking about some of the stuff I saw that there are no photos of, no videos of, no clips of, just amazing skateboarding. Yeah, definitely. And then you, you said something that you got stabbed. Well, tell us a little about that. What happened? Um, I was actually out with, with Scott was one of the people I was out with, um, and a few other friends and we just got into a confrontation that it went wrong. I, I think, you know, there's, there's discrepancy in the details, but I think they thought we were someone else, you know, and, um, the, they came at us. There were, there were several people, probably 10 to 15 people. And they just came at us with, with a lot of hostility. Like we, at first, at first it started off with someone coming up to Scott and I, and we just thought it was like, all right, who are these dudes? And I could feel like something was going to happen. And then, um, I think maybe the Scott hit one of the guys or the guy might've hit Scott, like just kind of came up to the side and then Scott hit him. And then I hit the guy that was next to him and it just got chaotic from there. We all split up. 
I ended up getting backed against this wall and uh, there was a group of people in front of me instead of fighting my way or letting the group come at me and just try to beat me down against the wall. I just started to fight my way through the group. And as I was fighting my way through the group, that was when I felt something like someone pulled my shirt, like yoked my neck. I felt something go in my back, my side, my chest. As I was fighting through that mob, they were like coming at me. They were just stabbing me. And I didn't know who was stabbing me, who, who wasn't. Yeah. And finally I fought out of that group. And at that point, they probably realized, you know, they had to get out of there. So they kind of just took off running. And I looked down and I was just blood. My shirt was ripped off. I, like, was missing a shoe. I think they're a fresh pair of iPads, something something new. And um, I, I just remember they were, like, a fresh pair of skate shoes. And, like, just had blood all my front of my jeans are fully blood and i didn't realize i was the same was on my backside because it was stabbed there too and it ended up being you know i got rushed to the hospital long story to keep it short we i ended up in the hospital and in the hospital there there were doctors and nurses all around me and just like putting a tube on my nose and my arm and at that point i realized like I was ready to die. I was kind of freaking out. And before that in my life, I didn't care if I lived or died. I just yeah. lived recklessly and was like, whatever, you know? And um, that was kind of like a big wake up call for me. And, yeah. and it ended up being out stabbed nine times. And I spent like, you know, several days in the hospital recovering after that. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it was heavy, man. And then Scott got flashed across the stomach and I saw like, when he was coming over towards me at the end of the chaos, I just looked over and he was just wide open, gut, like side to side, holding, I don't know if it was intestines or muscle or what it was. It was heavy. Damn. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, glad, you're, glad you're alive, dude. I mean, you know I mean? that's, that's, yeah, man. But before that, you know, that wasn't the first time there were weapon involved in fights. People would pull guns out or knives or whatever, and I would always kind of laugh at it, just like yeah. had that rage inside me where i didn't get intimidated by that stuff but that was humbling for sure (laughs) yeah definitely and and so you said that was a life change and so so that's where you kind of like did you stick with skateboarding or did you kind of step away from it a little bit and did no i I stayed in skateboarding for a while and i think um you know that was really part of what helped me keep going because after the stabbing I had some home life issues and things were compounding with PTSD and stuff and like the depression got really heavy for me and like um, suicidal on a pretty much regular basis and skateboarding I think I was clo- I was probably in the window of my prime at that point because I just uh, that's I was just skateboarding like feeding that that all of the stuff that I was processing through that. And I, it was weird because I kind of separated myself from everyone because I was dealing with so much internally, but I would just go skate by myself at night and just like be really like, doing tricks over and over and over and real repetitious and just spending hours on the board, disappearing into it, you know, and letting it heal me and help me keep pushing. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And, and, and like I said, you know, like you said, like skateboarding, what people don't realize, like skateboarding has saved uh, people's lives. You know what I mean? Oh, dude, countless, man. I couldn't even, I couldn't even imagine, you know, my life without skateboarding at certain phases in my life. I Like I, it's, it's hard even to fathom the possibility of surviving it. If yeah. I didn't have that board with four wheels that I could just 
go and and beyond and still to this day man that's the uh, um i always encourage people especially our age to make the time for it because you know our mental health is just as important if not more important than our physical health because everything yep. about our life go is like that's rooted in our mental health and how we're doing and skateboarding is such a healthy outlet that helps helps me personally keep my mind right and yeah. keep kind of keep the the negative thoughts away and, and down you know yeah. and and that's where you came up with the book thank you skateboarding right yeah just oh you know all the other books over the years friends that knew me closely would ask if i would write a book about skateboarding never thought about it and i always said there's a book in me i just don't know when you know it's just i know i want to and it just got to that point where especially in the last few years after this new park opened and i'm you know skating more consistently than i had and not that i ever quit but i wasn't like skating as much as i am now you know and in that process just it was time to write a tribute to the many ways that skateboarding benefits everyone's life, whether they do it um, now or once did. It's there's so many positive aspects that um, end up manifesting other areas in our life from skateboarding, and that was just the, um, you know, as much as I share in that book, I know the words will always sh fall short to really expressing how beneficial skateboarding is and and how much it like brings so many people together and so many positive aspects of it that 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 book is a tribute to, it's one that's written for every skateboarder that um either currently does skate or or once did just dedicated you know to, to all of all of us and, and where can the viewers buy your book at um anywhere books are sold online but you know amazon's probably the best place i just direct everyone to amazon type in thank you skateboarding and it'll come up Ricky Roberts the third. Okay, and then there's 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 a couple of things like I, I I love your book by the way. I mean like yeah, everything, thanks, everything, man. Every, everything you say in the book and you know I like the fact that you have like different pages or different little sections. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. And I like that because it, it brings a lot of like things that are how I feel about it. And one of the things yeah. I like one of the things I like about Thank what, you. is you wrote is for the love, and it yeah. says. People don't skate for the money, fame, or the ability to acquire mental things. They skate for the love of it. Even for the ones who obtain financial success and popularity through a career in skateboarding, that is not why they skate. I mean, that's, yeah. that's awesome. You know what I mean? Dude, like, and you can hear interviews time and time again from some of the most high-ranking like ranking skateboarders, if you will, in terms of like what, what they're... Uh, you know what their notoriety is or whatever and it all comes back to they would do it without the stuff they would still skate it doesn't matter it's it's that one thing that um when we fall in love with skateboarding it's a part of who we are always yeah it's just the, and it's for the love of it and i think that's the shared thing that's so that us as skateboarders get to um have together because we all know it's all for the love ultimately whether we get sponsored or flow or, or whatever or don't or whatever our trail our path is in skateboarding it still comes down to the love of it yeah that's true and, it. The, and the question i was going to ask you is do you feel like the love is still there with the newer generation because i mean with with like you know getting like nike sb the olympics and all that coming in 
and changing skateboarding. Because back in the day when you and me were growing up and Dave Swift were growing up, all of us growing up, we didn't have all that stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? And now all that stuff coming in, do you think the love is still there or do you think it's still going the other way? You know, I think that those are all perks that weren't there when we were coming up and, and growing up in the way that they are now and the, the money that's being fueled into to skateboarding. Those are all certainly new perks. But the reality is whoever those people are that are getting that, to get to that level at skateboarding, there has to be more than just, oh, I want to get to this level of skateboarding so that I can get free Nike ISBs and get a check from Red Bull, right? It's, you have to love it. You have to really love skateboarding, really care for skateboarding to go through what you have to go through to get to that level. There's no, there's no, maybe some people learn faster than others, but skateboarding is a harsh thing and it's not an easy thing to learn. And I feel like the discipline that it takes in the, ability to overcome the fears that you do through skateboarding has to be rooted in that strong love for it because in my mind i can't see any other way or that people can put themselves through what they have to to, to get to that level if that makes sense and you know all love for them to be able to get the perk and enjoy it you know i, I wish that um you know it's nice to see that type of reward on different levels for some some people that that work we all know who skate we know how hard that work is to to be where they're at yeah, definitely. That's, that's, that's definitely true you know and one last question um what's what's new with ricky roberts the third i mean what you got anything good coming up or anything or what even though i'm your older brother here you know yeah man i know you know so um <laughs> Yeah, man, it's um, I'm always I'm always working on tricks and, and pushing to, to get new tricks. And I'm always writing and stuff in my head and working on different projects. I don't have a specific book in, in the lineup right now, but, you know, I'm just continuing to spread the word about thank you skateboarding and, and connect with people and get that out of there. And I appreciate all of the support and respect for it and um, everything I've gotten so far. Um, but, yeah, man, it's just. I'm always trying to learn and grow. I recently had a son and that's been transformative on so many levels, you know, so that's the, the, the real new, new in, in my life. And it's just the way my wife and I are growing and, and just getting and bonding through it and, and together over it. It's, it's a, it's an awesome experience, but that's something that I continue to, to focus on and, and learn and grow from. It's just that steady evolution. Oh yeah, dude. that's awesome, man. And uh, and people, go follow Ricky Robertson third on Instagram. You gotta watch him skate, dude. He kills it, dude. Oh uh, man, I'm just it. happy to be on the board, man. It's just... <laughs> hey, <what laughs> thank you. That? I appreciate hey, it. Hey, what was that trick you did? I can't remember. You did a, uh, at the park. You did a hips and head ride or a hut and no side or something like that. A what? On what? Just, what? A flat on bar? Yeah, on a bank. There's that bank to ledge. You did like a, like a nose slide or something, or nose slide or something. I saw it on your little, um, you did like Oh, a, yeah, 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 that curve leg. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just a, a off the bank to nose slide around it, but that thing's sketchy in real life. It just, it the curve's pretty sharp, so I was figuring out coming off and curving around was a, a bit of a battle. 
for dude, for that sure. Was sick, dude. That was sick. Yeah, I, I seen it. I seen that little spot, dude. You know what it's like, right? It's kind of yeah. it's it's a little sketchy, but um, yeah, I'm happy I got my my body to do it because my mind wanted to for a while. So it was, uh, yeah, that was a fun little battle. Oh yeah. Well, Ricky, thank you so much for being on the show, man. And hey. I love your book, man. People, Thanks, man. Go get this book. Thank you, skateboarding at where, Ricky? Where can I get it? Uh, Amazon, Amazon.com. And, and if you can't find it on there, DM. Just Ricky type it. This. Just type. Thank you, skateboarding in. It'll come up. But if you prefer other venues, you don't like Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, uh, Target, wherever, anywhere books are sold online, pretty much. So grab this book, man. And Ricky, man, thank you so much for being on the show. You're skateboarding, you're killing it on the skateboard, man. And, Thanks, man. And I, and I love the fact that you're, you're spreading the love out there, and that's awesome, dude. Thank you. And you're doing the same. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, thanks for Carl working the, behind the scenes. I appreciate you guys. Much love for sure. Hell yeah. Well, hey, stay on, dude. So coming up, right after this commercial spicy grip, we're going to be jamming out with Big Mother Gig. You ready to check it out, Yeah, man. I'm stoked. Let's do Hell it. Hell yeah. Let's do it. How you doing? <laughs> hey, Tommy. Ooh, I love the glasses, man. Thank you. I, I, I can see my reflection on it, dude. That's awesome. That's the whole oh, point. Dude. I want you to be able to see yourself there. There we go. Yeah, I see my. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Go up a little bit. I got to fix my beard a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, brother? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for always uh, supporting Big Mother Gig. You know, for a couple of years now, you've been getting behind the band and we always uh, appreciate that so thank you for for help us getting the word out about our new songs and stuff hell yeah man and, and i know i always get your in me and carl get your invites all the time but they took whenever you guys come out to la or san diego area but we always miss each other so i was like dude i gotta get you guys on the show <laughs> yeah yeah i know we've tried a few times so finally making it happen hell yeah dude. in person now <laughs> yeah so talk so so some of the viewers might know who you are, but some don't. Tell us a little, little bio about Big Mother Gig. Yeah, for sure. So um, Big Mother Gig, we're a, a, a band uh, based in Los Angeles, originally from the Midwest. Uh, there was a 20-year break in the band's history. We started in the 90s and took 20 years off reconvene a couple of years back. Um, we put out a record in 2018 um and we are slowly coming uh, around to putting out another record soon uh we've been dropping a few singles this year and uh yeah so if you like uh guitars and uh alternative slash indie rock stuff like that then you might like big mother gig <laughs> hey i like i like 
guys, man. You guys jam out, dude. Thanks, man. Thanks. So, so let's go back just a little bit. Um, so, the, so you guys started in '90, right? 1990, 1992. Or... Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm originally from Wisconsin, and and we uh, we started in Milwaukee in the early '90s. Okay, and that was right when like Nirvana and all that stuff was going on, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, we definitely were part of that um, sonically part of what was happening with you know kind of uh, loud guitars. I mean. I grew up listening to punk and, and hardcore, and uh, by the time the 90s hit, it was slowing down a little bit. So, you know, fans like Nirvana, um, and, but kind of their predecessors, Dinosaur Jr. and stuff like that, big uh, influences on us, and that's kind of the style of music that we Oh, that's awesome. And, and let me ask you, how did you, how did you guys meet up? How did you start the band? Yeah, we were based on, uh, we all met in, in college. We were freshmen, sophomores at Marquette University. And, um, you know, just kind of discovered mutual love for different uh, bands, started playing together. I mean, every band's story is pretty similar. You just kind of, you know, you're, you're just learning your instruments and you're meeting people who have similar ideas. You start playing and you know, basement uh, parties and then, if things go well, you start, you know, doing better, playing at lo local clubs, and then touring and putting out records and all that stuff. Oh yeah, and and how is it hard? I mean, what I'm trying to say is, it, is it like hard to come make up, make your own songs, and, and write your own songs in the Um, well, I suppose it is, and it isn't because it it, it all kind of goes. It's all, I would say that's you either have the bug or you don't. So, and I don't mean people have, like there are times in your life where you feel the need to express yourself through song. And so, yeah, there are times when it's really hard because you just don't have anything to say, you know, because nothing is really bugging you or there's nothing on your mind. But when you get the bug and you get the itch, it becomes easier. Um, you know, about two years ago I wrote what's going to be our, our upcoming album. And I wrote that whole album in the course of a, of a long weekend because I had a lot to say. I had a lot happening in my life. time to get it all out. Um, but there have been other times in my life when it really, it's really difficult to write because there's just nothing, there's nothing bubbling at the surface, you know, that, that you're trying to get out. And then how do you come up with the titles of the song? I mean, do you like pick like a certain word or are you watching, are you watching Netflix or something? You're like, okay, hey, that's actually sounds pretty good. I'm going to use that as a title. <laughs> yeah, you know, titles, song titles are, are a tricky thing. I, I, I mean, I've been doing music for 25 years, so I have a lot of songs. And I find that the songs that are the best are, have really simple titles that are frankly just the chorus of the song. Um, you can get really intellectual with it and, uh, and, and name. You know, there's this interview that uh, there was this man in the 90s called um, Harvey Danger, and they had that big song on the radio, and it was called Flagpole Sitta. And oh, I'm, not, 
Yeah, that's mentioned nowhere in the song. And the guy's actually said, you know, if I just called this song, I'm not sick, but I'm not well, he's like, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> so there's something to be said with just kind of going for the obvious when it comes to song titles. And then you guys are coming from Wisconsin and going to LA. How was that transfer? How was that like? Was it a big culture shock? Like, how did that work out? <laughs> well, you know, it was a gradual process. I mean, I left. Wisconsin in 1996 and moved to New York, spent about 10 years in New York City before I got to LA. So um, at that point, you know, coming from from Milwaukee to New York was a massive culture shock. Um, and uh, I was also very young when I did that. So it was tremendously different, but that's kind of why I liked it. Like I kind of felt like I needed to experience something really different from what from the world I grew up in. Um, getting out to LA was different. You know, I was already in my 30s or 40s or whatever. And so it was a little more of a natural progression. Um, and we've been in LA now for over 10 years. So LA really feels like, you know, like home. Yes, definitely. And then uh, before we listen to your, you know, your song that's coming up, yeah. um, what what I was thinking about, how I just lost track on what I was going to say. But um, what did you feel like it was hard to make it out of Wisconsin, and like if you didn't make it out of Wisconsin, would you be in LA or New York? Or did you feel like Wisconsin would just got you where you're at? So everything comes down to timing, and for this band, um, timing never worked in our face. <laughs> and so we started in '92. We played our last show in. I decided I was done with Wisconsin. I moved to New York. I had a whole different pathway of music there. But what's really interesting is that in 1997, in Milwaukee, suddenly it became like a hotbed for music. And you had, yeah, I mean, you had essentially the whole emo movement as we know it came out of uh, Milwaukee with bands like The Promise Ring and, and Braid and all of those guys who, you know, we were kind of hanging out with them in their earlier band and we knew those guys and we, I really felt like, I remember saying to the band at the time, like, we got to get out of Milwaukee. No, no Milwaukee band gets a record. And then a year after I left, something like 15 Milwaukee bands got record deals. You're like, oh, shit, man, what yeah. happened? I mean, if you look at if you really dig into the, the course of my music career, you'll find one strategic error after another. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm, I'm happy with who I am. You know, I'm uh, 47 years old. I'm still Hold on, hold on. Hold on you're 47? I am. Dude, you don't even look 47. I'm not hitting on you. I'm just telling you. You don't look like it, you know? You know, they say in music, don't ever tell them how old you are. But I'm like, whatever, man. Like, I, I, I'm too, I'm, too um, I'm done trying to pretend, you know, to be something I'm not. So I'm 47 years old. I'm a child of the 70s. I lived to, you know, seven seconds in 1985. Like, I'm old. And I'm happy. Hey, cheers, brother. <laughs> there you cheers. go. Well, cool, cool. Well, tell us about the song that we're about to listen to. Yeah, I think you're going to play 20 Miles, right? Yes. So uh, when I told you I had that long weekend, um, 
so one of the things that you sort of realize as you grow up and you have a kid, um, and you know, it's interesting hearing Ray talk about this too. Like once you become a dad, you start looking at um, your life choices. And I came to the hard realization that I was addicted to alcohol. And so I went through the process of getting sober and all of that, part of that process um, was dealing with the reasons I struggled with sobriety. So that long weekend was being, um, almost a mental health exercise of like writing songs about my addiction and, and getting sober. So 20 Miles was one of the songs that I wrote that weekend. And it's all about, I think, in our culture today, it's hard to recognize if you're uh, if you have a problem with addiction because we always imagine alcoholics, you know, lose their jobs, their wife leaves them, everyone, you know, you get quote unquote rock bottom. And I think the truth is, a lot of addicts don't hit rock bottom. They they are able to keep it going enough where they think they don't have a problem. So that's what Twenty Miles is all about. It's about being on the road to rock bottom and recognizing that if you don't make a change, you're, you're going to hit it. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, are you ready to listen to it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fire well, up. World, world is Big Mother Gig, dude. Hey, we're Big Mother Gig. This song is called 20 Miles.
Big Mother Gig. <laughs> <laughs> what up? Hey, Carl. I was here. Carl, I think you got the wrong person on. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Where shall I go? Hold on, hold on. You're, you're, you're next after Rick, after uh, Big, Big Brother All right. Gig. <laughs> <laughs> Carl. Rasta Carl back there, man. So, Dave, tell us about that song. <laughs> Dave, tell us about that song real quick. Something about 20 miles. Oh, <laughs> uh, It's funny. I recorded, obviously, it's just me in that clip because, um, you know, thanks to coronavirus, all our bandmates are spread all over the world quarantining. So I had to make do with just me in the in the backing tracks. Hey, you did awesome, dude. It was awesome. I, I like the light, the purple lights in the back, dude. You did great, dude. It was awesome, man. <laughs> well, well hey, when, whenever whenever COVID gets back, and what not get back, but once it gets cleared, I mean, I'm only in Florida for like six more months, and then I'm heading back to California. But we all miss being on the show, being on the road, going to like different bars and skate parks and stuff. And yeah. We would love for you guys to come back and play live officially, you know, the whole band and everything. But, just to have you guys on, just you and the guys on, it was fucking awesome, dude. And the song was awesome, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I really. And, and before we go, um, what's what about this um, new album that's coming out? Yeah, so we haven't officially announced it yet, but um, we basically it's it's going to come out probably in the spring, and um, we've dropped three singles um, this year already. They're all on Spotify. Um, so if you're interested in listening to these songs, uh, please check us out on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you listen to music. Um, you can go to bigmothergig.com to find all our social media. I'm, I'm plugging now. <laughs> so, I'll do it, man. Uh, on uh, Instagram, Instagram, Facebook. IG, baby. <laughs> we even have a TikTok account, if you can believe that. Oh, no, you got a TikTok account? Really? We got a TikTok account, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we tick and we talk, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, dude, Rich, man, thank you for so much coming on the show, man. And one last question, what can you tell the upcoming magicians like who want to start their own band and, and go play music and record? What can you tell these people? Uh, you know, something I wish someone had told me when I was like, uh, spend a couple of years figuring out what you want to do before you worry about what other people tell you. So, um, it's really difficult to starting out to uh, formalize your own vision, um, especially when you have people 
coming to direct you so figure out what you want to do and then just do it and you don't become a musician when you start selling records like you're a musician when you start making music and so just do that make sure you're happy with what you're making if you're not happy then make something else and just be honest with what you want to do oh yeah, oh, yeah. that's awesome man <laughs> But, you know, as I said, I've made one error after another. His advice is great. Listen to his advice. But, hey, people, go go, go download. Go listen to Mother Kids singing on Spotify. Download all their albums, man. These guys fucking rock, man. And, Rich, man, thank you so much for being on the show, man. And you feel it. And I can't wait till the album comes out in spring, dude. Thanks, Tommy. I really appreciate it. I oh, really do. Yeah, well, right after this uh, Speed Lab commercial, we're going to sit down with legendary photographer Dave Swift. You ready to check him out? I sure am. You got those that are just rolling on their dusty old bones. They'll try to sell you on a formula. A formula for parks, for streets, for ramps, for roads. No, no, no. Formulas 2, 4, 6, and 10. Oh, I'm here to tell you there's one formula, baby. One. And that's the Speed Lab Championship Formula. Yeah. Available now. Is this it this time? you. Oh, I can hear you now. There you go. I don't know what you did. I, what? Was it me? Hey, we'll blame it on Carl, man. Uh, that's a good idea. <laughs> he's probably drinking that Goldschlager again. Oh, uh, no. He's smoking that split. That's what he's doing. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Not surprised. Oh, yeah. How you doing, dude? I'm pretty good. Just How's hanging out home on a Sunday. Getting ready to drive How's to LA. Oh shit! How's everything going in California? It's warm. Yeah. You guys getting locked locked down out there? Or what? Um, I mean, a few months ago we've been pretty we've been fine since uh, May, I think. Oh, as far as lockdown skating, everything's open. San okay, Diego. Cool. I can't speak for Orange County and Los Angeles, but <laughs> I'm down here. You're you're, you're an SD. That's right. <laughs> Well, cool, cool. Well, let's get into this. Uh, let's, you know, some sounds good. Some of the photographer, uh, some of the skateboarders know who you are, but there's some who don't. Tell us a little bio about you. Ah, bio. I love this part. I watched. <laughs> I watched Crawlix the other day. Um, so I started skateboarding in 1977-78 um, when the skate parks were kind of big early. Got out of it for a year. And then got back into skateboarding in 1980 and never stopped since. Um, so I kind of grew up looking at skateboard magazines and photographs of skateboarding. That's kind of like where I came from as far as my view of skateboarding outside of what I can see on an everyday basis. was always came from photography and the photographers that shot skateboarding. Um, 
somehow lucked into a mag to a magazine job at Transworld. I don't know. That wasn't my fault, but I ended up there. Stayed there for 15 years and then started another magazine called The Skateboard Mag with Grant Britton and his brothers. Oh, hell yeah. Hey, that, those are two legendary magazines right there, you know? <laughs> it was a good ride. It was a good run. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So let's go back a little bit. So, what, so you started skateboarding in the 70s. So what was it like skateboarding in the 70s? Um, it was, everything was new, you know? Like skateboarding was... I mean, there was older kids than me that were good at skateboarding. They did handstands, and that was like, whoa, a handstand. Um, I was a little later than that, but I did see it. Like, skate parks were kind of like just popping up, like Carlsbad Skate Park. And so that was where I really kind of found a love for skateboarding, like on smooth concrete. Mm -hmm. um, just friends of mine in middle school, they did it, so I went with them. and I don't know, just fell in love with it, but... I had a skateboard stolen in the summer of 78 and couldn't afford another one. So I kind of went a different route for a year and a half. <laughs> and did you remember what skateboard that, that your first skateboard was? Do I remember? Yeah, do you remember your first skateboard? It was a Santa Cruz slalom deck. Okay. Because that was the only skateboard that they had. I bought it from a, a guy I had a shop in his garage. And he was low on stock, so I got a board, that board, some trucks, some Bennett trucks, and four wheels. The front ones were different than the back ones. Oh, really? Yeah. I was just That's wondering. Great. I just wanted to skateboard that bad that day that I, I, I just cleaned him out of his inventory. You're like, hey, you know what? I don't care what it looks like. Just give me whatever. Yeah, this, this should work, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And then, so... Then you, then you start getting older, like middle school, high school, and then you get still stuck with skateboarding then, or, or did you get into something different? Uh, like I said, I took it, like, after eighth grade, I didn't skate in my ninth grade year. Just because I didn't have a skateboard, I kind of started hanging out with different kids. Um, and then in tenth grade, I met a kid that I actually still kind of skateboard with. Um, and he was riding a skateboard. I thought, wow, that's cool. I wonder, where do you ride this thing? And he would just tell me, like, he has a ditch in the backyard, blah, blah, blah. And we just kind of started skating as much as we could together. And that's when I found the Del Mar Skate Ranch. This guy right here. Um, I, we used to take the bus down there, which was like a 20, 20 miles, about a half hour on the bus. Um, like, as much as we could, like, every day that we're off school. Or, I would go after school every day, get home at 7 night. I don't know, for eight years, I just was there all the time. Oh, yeah. And and so, you know, I, we, we did an interview last season finale uh, with Camp Britton, and he was talking about the ranch. What was it like for you growing up at the ranch? What was it like for me? Yeah. I mean, it was awesome. There was, like, nobody ever there, like, except for the six to eight people that stayed there all the time. You know, so you could go there. I could go there after school. Get there at three thirty. There might be two people in the whole park. Really, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and those two people could be Billy Ruff and Tony Hawk, or you know, my friend Owen that skated there all the time. It, all the people that skated there were kind of like pretty good at skateboarding. You know, better than me because I was still kind of learning in like 81, 80. But it helped me to kind of like. See what they were doing and just learn straight from them. 
you know. Oh, yeah. and, then, and then if anybody skated from L.A., because by this time there was only two skate parks, they would come down to Del Mar weekly, like Neil Blender, um, Lance Mountain, whoever would come down. And so we'd see all the best guys. That's awesome. That's awesome. And is that where you met Greg at? At the ranch or? Yeah, he was working in the, in the pro shop, skate park, whatever. He was the one that, you know, you give your money to, to uh, skate for the day. Oh, really? <laughs> I got kicked out for not paying a couple times. <laughs> but that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's a whole different story? Yeah. People, we had to pay the, we had to pay the skate once upon a time. Oh, man. That's horrible, man. Yeah. I, I, I never pay. I never pay for skate. I always jump the fence. But the way it should be. Once you learn. Exactly. 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 So when did you start? When did you pick up a camera? Um. So in 1989. Well, yeah, January 89. I got the job at Transworld. Um. Just by luck. I mean, I was kind of at the end of my rope as far as employment goes. When you know, I was working a coffee shop. I'd just gone to Europe for a couple months and skated the whole time. My parents were kind of like, you need to get something going on. I was 20. Um, and so I just kind of heard that somebody was quitting at Transworld, and I sent a resume in there for uh, to be a writer, to write stories or whatever, and interviewed with the guy that was the editor. He ended up giving me the job, and I spent three months transcribing interviews and editing the magazine, just doing kind of like menial around the office stuff in the editorial department. Uh, learning how to use a computer, because I never used a computer before at that time. This was 1989. And <laughs> so I was kind of, you know, I, I interviewed Steve Alba, I interviewed Jason Jesse, I interviewed Tom Verholsky in this time. I used to travel to do those interviews with a guy named O, you know, Otis Bartholomew, who was a photographer at the time. So me and him would travel, and I flew to uh, Georgia to interview Tom Verholsky. And by this time, I was like, uh, it's hard to be in the office and you know write about skateboarding or do anything with skateboarding. So I just asked Grant if I could borrow one of his old cameras, and that was what kind of like got me into it. That's awesome, man. And, and, yeah. And so you did interviews with you know with Jesse and all those guys. You got any good stories about them? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know you got stories, but what's a good memory that sticks to your head? Well, I mean, the Steve Alba one kind of sticks in my head just because it was the first thing I really had to do. And Steve, you know, he's a few years older than me, and he was one of the guys, the pro skaters that I looked up to in the late 70s, like before I kind of stopped skating. Like he was like the top skater, this and that. But by the time I started skating again, he wasn't really around. So this is 81, 82, 83, 84. Like, he wasn't one of the, the pros that was skating at the time. And then he kind of, like, got back into the, the professional skateboard scene about 84, maybe. So I'd always looked up to him. So for me to have to go and interview him, it was just like, oh, I, mean, I just felt like it was like interviewing my dad or something. Like, he felt like he was that much older than me, even though he was only a couple years older. So we went up and skated the pipeline. It was like right after the close, but they gave us a session. So Grant took photos, and then we went to Steve's house, and he just played guitar while I interviewed him. And I was just super nervous. And, I mean, I still have the tape from it and everything. It's like, oh, really? 
three hours or something, you know? Like, that's me just sitting there talking to him and sweating and like, ugh. <laughs> it was nerve wracking, but we pulled it off. That's I awesome. read it now, like, I'll look at that magazine and I'll be like, what was I thinking, you know? Like, <laughs> Different do you, times. Do you remember the questions that you asked him? I can't. I mean, they were all kind of generic, you know. It was, it was trans world, so it was definitely couldn't be too um, in depth when it came oh. to like the way people were. Uh-huh. You know, do you smoke pot? No, that wasn't in there. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's just basic skateboard knowledge, like all this, like talking about the '70s stuff that I wanted to know. That was kind of how my my interview tactic on that one. Um, and he would just tell these super long stories about Badlands and growing up and by the pipeline and you know stuff that I thought was interesting. Yeah, definitely. That's pretty sick, dude. Like, to know that, you know, coming from you know from not being part be part of skateboarding, but then also now you're working for a, the industry and, and you're stepping in there like interviewing big name pros and stuff like that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And and then do you remember like when you first took your photo, did you like, had mistakes? Did you had to learn from other people or what? Um lots of mistakes. And Grant wasn't the type that would just tell you exactly what you did wrong. He would be pretty uh, cryptic about it. Like, I remember specifically that having this proof sheet of photos that I shot at McGill Skate Park. And, like, Kevin Staub, I think it was a photo of Kevin Staub I thought was really good. Like, oh, look. So I showed it to him on the proof sheet, and he looked at it, and then he went like this. He turned it sideways, and he goes, it looks way better like this. <laughs> I, was like, I didn't know if he was making fun. I didn't know what he, was, what he meant. Like, what? It looks better like that. And so I just sat on it for like a couple of days, like, why is he taught? Why, why? And then I realized that it was about the horizon. You know, I, I would shoot and I wasn't paying attention to, you know, the way the world is, like, not tilted like this. <laughs> it's like this. So it helped me to kind of just figure out what's, you know, some of the rules of photography that they can be broken, but some, a lot of times they shouldn't be broken. You know, I mean, you got to kind of like work with that kind of stuff. And, and then basic film knowledge, like, you know, I mean, they're not dealing with digital where you can look at the photo. So it was go out, shoot a roll, come back. Maybe two of them were exposed correctly. And there was a lot of, you know, hits and misses in the first couple of years, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah definitely. And to be frank, like, in those years, the only reason why I took up photography was to get out of the office. And you got to understand that I'm a little ADD and being cooped up in a room like with a computer that there was, there was you couldn't look at the internet back then it was just like you had a computer and you did your job and there was no distractions so i needed to be distracted by skateboarding so it was my excuse to get out and be around so i could skate and then that same time i would shoot photos like between runs or whatever so i would just i would take a run i would shoot a photo you know over and over and my skating suffered and my photographer really didn't improve fast enough, you know, So because I wasn't <laughs> completely focused on either one. Yeah. Um, and I learned real soon after that that it was either I skated and didn't take photos or, you know, I took photos and didn't skate. I just had to, like, separate the two of them. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of like how I live by things now. Like, because people are always like, are you going to skate? And I'm like, no, I'm here to take photos. I can't skate when I take photos. So... Why is that, can I ask? Well, it's because I think it's my photography suffers, right? Because I'm not, like, really thinking about the photos. I'm thinking about skating. 
And if I'm skating, I'm not really, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. I'm not giving either one of them my 100% attention. And uh, as a photographer, I got way better when I, when I separate those. That's awesome. Uh, oh, that's true. That's true. You know, I mean, you can't be like, oh, hey, I'm going to get this photo. But also, too, in the back of your mind, like, damn, I'm going to do that trick real quick on that handrail or that, or that slappy curve or whatever, you know? Right. You can't think it's too hard to have both of them in your head, at least for me. Other people maybe can do it, but not this guy. <laughs> not you. <laughs> so, what? two things. So, what is your worst photographer photo and what is your best photographer photo? What was my first? No, your worst. Like the what you took a photo and you're like, dude, this this is the awful photo I ever took. There's a lot of worse. <laughs> There's one that sticks to your head. File cabinet full of worse. Uh, do I have it? No. Uh, I mean, it's again, it's it's all these photos that were like. I mean, I would say the worst ones are the ones that weren't exposed properly. Or they're totally out of focus, or uh, they're just you know like an arm's cut off that right here. You know, like the stuff where you look at you're like, oh, I really blew it on that one, or. I mean, one of the things that I didn't have a problem with being a skater was the timing. You know, so that was what I picked up right away was how to time a trick to make it look the, the way it should look. You know, like a, a backside smith grind, the rail should be down, and like his foot should be a certain way. Um, I knew that. So that didn't take much time, but like figuring out like what f-stops were and shutter speeds and how they coincided or worked together, I didn't know. And then add in film and flashes those were really hard to kind of master together too so, yeah. so from 89 to 91 there was a lot of hit misses. <laughs> but we're dealing with you know free film that i'm getting from trans world and going on the trips with the best skaters it was it, it was a good experiment you know i mean i had a good time experimenting I, and it wasn't costing me any money i was you know being flown around the world and the one experience when i went to europe in 1990 for all the contests and stuff i was there for six weeks and i had a, a bag of film my camera my skateboard and i would just take a train to go to all these different places and meet up with people and when i'm flying home i don't have any idea whether or not any of the photos would come out oh really so that was that was pretty stressful and, and from that when I got back and I had all those processed, and I probably pulled off like 80% of the time, making it work, you know, photos being good, you know, good, good as in magazine quality. From that point on, I kind of knew I could do it, you know? Yeah. Before that, again, it was definitely hit and miss. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your uh, favorite photo they ever took? I know there's probably a thousand of them. But one of six year ahead. My favorite. I mean, it, it might be the Heath Kirchart Santa Barbara photo where he's doing a 50 50 on the curb ledge. Yeah. Um, just because, again, with Heath, everything was like he might make it in two tries and that's all you get, or it might take two hours, you know, and, and that was one of the occasions where it was. He got on it right away, a couple tries, and he was like, let's shoot a sequence. And so I went from still to sequence. And so I only have two or three frames of that 50-50, you know? And yeah, definitely. when it comes out and you get it, and it's on film, it's pretty cool, you know? Yeah. So I, I really like that one. So are, do you like digital better than film? 
I've gotten to be, I've gotten to be a better photographer with digital. Okay. And if I could explain that, it's you know, with film, like you get those few tries. And, you know, in your, in, your, in your head, you gotta make sure that the, the skater kind of got into a, a trick right, but you can't look at it, and you gotta hope that you exposed it right. So you didn't take a lot of you didn't take a lot of risk when it came to composing photos. You know, I would go with fisheye first, and then I would try to use like a, a zoom lens, like a long, like a two hundred millimeter lens, and maybe compose something with that. But there wouldn't be a lot of like, oh, maybe it would look a little bit better if it was like this. And so with digital, you can just look at it right away and go, like, you can see what your mistakes are, where your light's wrong. If you could change it up, or I got this photo this way, I'm moving to this, you know? So there was, yeah. it gives you a lot more ability to change everything around to make a lot of different photographs. Yeah, definitely. And then plus you, you don't have to sit in a, a dark room waiting for the photo to get made. Yeah, I didn't really have to do that. I did it a few oh, times. Really? It burned my hands. Um, <laughs> well, because at Transworld, we had a, a, photo a, a darkroom guy do all the prints. Okay. Um, they had something in there that worked all day. And I, I wanted to do it, but then when I burned my hands, I was like, I can't really, really do it. Because the darkroom's cool to see that thing, you know, see a photograph come out of, the, out of nothing. But again, I was more of a, I like color photography. That might be bad for people, but no, I mean, I've always liked the way color photos look, you know, from, from when I looked at Skateboarder Magazine in the late 70s, like they always had color photos and they always had the best color photos and that, that always popped out in my head. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I agree with you, that's black and white, it's kind of cool, it's cool, but I'd rather see color because me, I like to see like the, the horizon and, and just like you can see the picture and the wheels and everything, you know? Yeah. And you can imagine, and you can imagine that's how it looked. Like, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and then when you go there, you're like, "Oh, it didn't look like that." <laughs> yeah. And but no. so now, like, I still like film, and I still shoot film. I, I probably actually like film better now because I know what I'm doing more. You know, I but I, but I shoot probably ninety percent digital, okay. just because that's what clients want. Yeah. And then, who is your favorite person to shoot photos of? There's probably a thousand of those ones, but one that sticks to your head. Definitely he. Definitely he. Definitely he's Kirchard. Why is that? Because he's always doing something that was way ahead of what other people were doing, I felt. You know, like he was always getting gnarly. It was always going to be something really good. Um, he was going to pound himself into the ground until he made it, or he'd go home just beat. Um, I, I feel like at the time he was underappreciated. Even when this was all going on around 98, 97, like people didn't really like him or people weren't like looking at him as the top guy, which has totally changed now. Like when people uh, people ask me about Heath all the time, like that's the main guy. What was it like shooting with Heath? Like, like whoa. <laughs> people didn't care back then when it was actually going on as much. Um, yeah. And the other one would be Tom Penny. Oh, yeah, legend. They're a legend. You know, Tom, Tom in his heyday was, was pretty magical. Oh my god! There wasn't a lot of communication, you know. It was just like he'd start skating, and you'd have to be ready. Uh, <laughs> and something would happen cool, and he might be gone. You're like, oh, like, whoa, where'd he go? <laughs> but it was it was just rad to see that 
when it was in its heyday, you know, 96, 97. Yeah. We're good. Yeah, definitely. And then how did you, Grant, or you and Grant start uh, skateboarding? How, how did you and Grant start skateboard mag? How'd y'all start? Grant had back? always talked about leaving. You know, you'd always get upset with what trans, how trans would work. For whatever reason, you know, it wasn't it wasn't anything bad, but like as they were bought and sold a few times, it was like, ah, are we just gonna get sick someday? Um, but there was no ill feelings towards the magazine when we left. It was just like we had this opportunity to do this with a crew and skateboarding was really big then and it seemed like it would be easy to do you know like we knew the magazine we made the magazine we made videos why can't we just do it on our own and maybe make some money you know and we got an investor and we did it for 14 years yeah and and if you go back if there's a if there's a time machine and you can go back to when you started skateboard mag in 14 years is there anything you change or keep or anything like that i wouldn't have done it <laughs> why is that why you say that <laughs> uh, just because I don't know I mean it's, we had seven owners and having seven owners causes a lot of friction mm-hmm. you know so the first four years were pretty overall it was great you know and then it became it was just arguments and just kind of too much of a hassle yeah. Without having like a boss, like everybody was, everybody was trying to be the boss, as opposed to having one person that was the boss. It was hard to get anything done and make make a magazine the way that you that any of us really wanted to do it. You know, so not that I wouldn't do it; I would still do it. But kind of the, just the climate of skateboarding all changed. Everything kind of went the other way with the internet, and yeah. we weren't ready for it in the money money you know we didn't have money to invest in websites uh all the stuff that we that people do now which is what we should have done when we had money so that's what i would have done different we would i would have saved some of the money and invested it back into the magazine so that we could have been still going today yeah i mean i honestly my, my honest opinion is like skateboard mag was like when I grew up, I had you know, the Thrasher Transworld, or Thrasher than Transworld, and then you guys came out with Skateboard Mag, and then the Skateboarder. So the my favorite one was Skateboard Mag because I loved the photos in it. You know, you guys had right. amazing photos and didn't have like five hundred ads, big ads in there, but it was just skateboard. You know? Yeah, that was that was what we did it for. You know, so, I mean that was again if if I was to say the one bad thing about Transworld. When we were doing those 450 page magazines, there might have been 30 ads that weren't even skateboarding, you know? Yeah. Um, military, got milk, whatever, all this kind of junk that we would get upset about. And I don't think anybody would get upset about it now because they'd be making money, you know? But yeah. in 2002, it was like, oh, this is so bad. <laughs> you know, but and it's funny to hear people talk about those issues, you know, like that were 450 pages because that was like almost 200 pages of, of pure skateboard, like editorial, you know, and a lot of the skate ads at that time were really good. You know, I mean, yeah. like the skate ads were just as good as the editorial, 
So overall, it was a pretty good package. If you were a kid receiving a 450-page magazine, you know, you know, like, I'm so pissed. <laughs> I think they're happy. And and there's there's always been a beef. I mean, I, I was no, when I was growing up. There's always a beef between NorCal and SoCal. Is that true? It's all made up. All made up. Like like. Well, like, it is it is a made up thing. <laughs> like, like, like the, uh, the, the skateboarders like, have NorCal. Go ahead. Well, both magazines were started by a truck company, and then you can go from there. <laughs> uh, I mean, as far as I, I've been told, that it was all kind of uh, it was made up to like bring interest into this like this weird battle, you know, like like there was something there, and that you're either north or you're south. I mean, back in 1984, that's pretty cool, but in 1995, when skateboarding is pretty global. It doesn't really make a lot of sense that why who cares about north northern California and Southern California? It put a lot of I think weirdness into California, like like there was some weird vibe that there really wasn't. You know, I think it was kinda of, it made that even stronger. And then you look at it today like did it really matter? That it was it was probably pretty fun for a little while. It was before my time actually, so <laughs> I mean you're only what, thirty five? Right now, yeah, thirty-two. No, 32. but I mean, when I when I say that, it was before my time. Like as a magazine guy, like I didn't get it. Like it didn't make sense to me. Um, I understood that there was independent trucks and there was tracker trucks, but I was in Southern California and I like indies, you know. But I didn't really want to like. Oh, my friend rides trackers. He sucks, you know. I didn't do that. Like I didn't feed into it so much. And the funny part is, is that. Uh, a lot of the rad skaters rode trackers, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of my favorites, like Neil Blender and Jeff Phillips yep. were tracker guys, right? So, I don't know. It's it's funny. No, it is. It is. No, I totally agree. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was just curious because, I mean, I, I, I still hear from other people, like, oh, NorCal, I don't like SoCal, or SoCal, <laughs> I don't like NorCal. I'm just like, what's the difference, you know? Yeah. It's and, a weird one. And and I know you shot, you know, you hung out with Dirty Aussie quite a few times. Do you have any good stories about Dirty oh, Aussie? Dirty Aussie, that's a good <laughs> Where does that come from? <laughs> good, old, good old Dirty. Because I know he's watching, so, you know, I have to mention his name there. No, bit. I shot a few sequences of Dirty Aussie that I still have in the file cabinet. And I actually saw him when I went to Australia the first time. I think he was back there. Um, I don't really have any stories. Like, he... He always seemed really mellow to me, but like, so I could never figure out why he has a nickname Dirty Aussie. I don't either, man. <laughs> you know, so is he around? Yeah, yeah, he lives. He lives down uh, down in San Diego. In fact, um, okay. When I was when I was living in, we kicked it all the time. But he's a he's a nice guy. He like really went for it when we shot. Like he did some stuff where it was like, whoa, you really pulled that one off. I don't know how. <laughs> Um, Ricky Beatleball wanted me to ask you something. The hoe wheels. What's that? Ricky? Uh, Ricky Beatleball. Yeah, he wanted me to ask you about the hoe wheels. Hoe wheels? Yeah. I don't he know said anything you know, about hoe wheels. Huh? You know, he said that you know something about the hoe wheels. I don't know. What is the hoe wheels? I don't know. He, he, said, he said Dave knows about the hoe wheels. Huh. I'm about to ask yeah. him about that. Yeah. 
I know my recent story of Ricky Benbow is that uh, and again I met Ricky when he was out here with Markovich in '92. You know, so it was pretty early Markovich and living here, and Ricky was his like sidekick and filming here and there, and skated too. Um, so he was on a lot of the photo missions that I went on with Chris. But recently, well, you know, I mentioned that Transwell had a darkroom guy. This guy's name was was Johnny Donhow. And he was a photographer, but he died three months ago, four months ago. And I acquired this photograph that Dan Sturt had shot that Johnny printed, you know, and it was the center spread for Chris's interview. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the water gap in Carlsbad. Yeah. So it's that. And so it's a photo of Chris, and like it's only his board, like the top part of his board in the top of the frame, and then a shadow. And there was some there was some issues with that photograph within the um, photo department at Transworld. Like, why is it like this or whatever? You know, and I was I was kind of the intermediary between some people, and I ended up with this photo, and I might have posted it on my Instagram, and then Rick hit me up and said that he has the Polaroid of it. Oh, really? Um, so that means Ricky was there when it was shot, and he had the Polaroid where, where the Polaroid is, you can see the whole board and everything in the photo. So it was like, oh, wow. yeah. But Dan used two different cameras when he shot that, and, you know, Dan's thing was like, I shot it like this on purpose. And that was kind of a big deal. <laughs> but I have the original print. That's awesome. Keep it. Save it away. Lock yep. it up. Lock <laughs> it needs a new frame. The frame's kind of dated. Oh, really? Yeah. It's one of those weird glass frames with no oh, outside. Oh, yeah. You definitely got a frame out there. Definitely. But that, so, with skateboarding, you know, from you growing up from skateboarding, working in the industry, and seeing skateboarding now, how do you feel about skateboarding? Like, do you see it progressing and being better, or do you think it's getting worse and, and <laughs> not getting better? Or, I mean, I mean, skateboarding always gets better. I mean, people that skate don't really pay attention to, the, to what what the media or the outside media or people are telling you. I mean, for the most part, you know, like they just skate. Like, I go to a, the Encinitas Skate Park four or five times a week and skate. And like, you know, there's the plaza part up above and we have the bowl down below. And everybody's just trying to rip, you know. And I feel like there's a lot of progression that people aren't seeing in skateboarding. Because, I mean, maybe it's because there's only one media, real big media for skateboarding now. Like, if there was more, like, there, there had been, like, you see different, different people that you don't normally see, you know, whether they're in magazines or, you know, there's there'd be more focus on other people. Like, other people would have more of a chance. And, I think that would progress skateboarding, but there's gnarly people in skateboarding right now, and you know, you see a Jamie Foy or you know, Elijah Charles or any of those dudes, and then even like yeah, Louis Lopez, all those guys like they're just killing like to the point where you just like yeah, skateboarding's really progressing. It's it just keeps moving, you know. There's nothing holding back. Um, but the mainstream doesn't get it, which I which I like. I don't want the mainstream to get it. Yeah. You know, and that was the best thing about the 90s. You know, like, nobody paid attention to skateboarding that wasn't a skateboarder. You know, in 95, you wouldn't have some random come up to you and ask you about who Tony Hawk is because the X Games hadn't happened yet. 
and skateboards were the only ones that knew. Yep. And it was a beautiful thing to have, like, in our hands. And, you know, it's all out there now. Like, it's just... It doesn't have the same appeal, I think, but we're skateboarders, so we love it. Yeah, definitely. And what's your feel on Olympics? Ah, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much for competition anyways. Like, yeah, I don't think that's what skateboarding is. But there's other sports in the Olympics that are, you know, stupider. I don't, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting just to see how it looks on that yeah. scale, you know. And for the guys that are doing it, like, I mean, again, they have the right dudes that are, that are doing it, you know, whether it's tra the tranny guys or the street guys, they're all the best at what they do. They're just not necessarily the guys that you would, we, would, we would be seeing as uh, the people that we looked up, look up to in skateboarding, like they're, the way that they are, their personalities or, or whatever aren't fully engaged in skateboarding you know they're different kind of they might have a different jockey kind of thing going on yeah, no, I but know. i guess at that level you got to be that way yeah yeah definitely do you think do you think olympics is going to help skateboarding or do you think it's going to be more mainstream that's going to ruin it uh mainstream hasn't ruined it already i think we're fine yeah i think it'll it'll get more interesting and it will help out the hardest brands because people will be like, whoa. They'll, they'll just start buying that kind of stuff and make, make that stuff, you know, make those companies actually be a bigger part of skateboarding again. You know, right now, like when, when people think of skateboarding, they might think of, you know, Monster Energy or Red Bull or Nike and whatever. And those things aren't really skateboarding. You know, like when I saw a kid, I was skating with a kid the other day and like the graphic on his board was just like, the rock star star, you know, mm -hmm. he didn't have a graphic. It was just like a blind board with this rock star star. And I that was just like the toughest thing ever. Yeah. But I'm 56 years old. You know? I think the skateboarding, the arts, the art, the people that do the graphics and all that stuff. That's that's what I think of skateboarding. You know, like a, what a skateboard looks like, what the wheels look like, how, how grounded your trucks are. Like cues and energy drinks weren't a big part of my skateboarding growing up, so I, I, I always look at them as outsiders, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And can you, what can you tell the upcoming photographers who want to come out there and start shooting photos and stuff like that? What, is there anything you want to tell those guys? Yeah, just keep doing it. Um, it's fun. You know, enjoy it. Like, always try to progress your photography. And I, and I always tell kids to come up and ask me about what do you think of this and you know and not be mean like just be like well it's good you know kind of the same way that grant would try to help me when he wasn't really like saying exactly what was wrong or do this was like you could do this better or you know, life is different you try to flash or you know get closer but without like showing them exactly what to do and that way they'll be able to progress their photography and have a creative mind and kind of they not just do things the way everybody else is doing, you know? Yeah. Because there was a time when everybody had Hasselblad cameras or Hasselblad fisheye, and everybody's, to me, as, as good as those cameras were, it just made, the fisheye was overused, and everybody's photos were kind of lit the same, they looked the same, 
and it was good to see again if digital brought anything to skateboarding it was like that ability to um challenge yourself to or just to make things look different you know yeah no that's awesome and one last question um what's what's coming up with you i mean do you got anything working on like um are we going to see a Grant and uh, Dave new skateboard magazine coming out or anything? What? Probably not a Grant and Dave, but uh, <laughs> I'd love to do another magazine. I mean, it's kind of like I still shoot for fun, like with the dudes around here that are, you know, up and coming guys. Like, I don't really go out with any of the top skaters anymore. Like what you would think of is like, you know, like, like a Heath Kirchhoff from when I was really in it. I mean, I would like to, and I can if I'm shooting for a company like Red Bull, or if I'm, you know, if I'm doing that, then I will have those opportunities. But not working for a magazine makes it hard for me to call somebody. Hey, you want to go down a twenty-two stair handrail? Like my Instagram? Like that just seems stupid, you know? Oh. So, I, you know, I work for a shoe company called Cariuma from Brazil. Okay. So, so I do stuff for them. Um, I do a lot of stuff for ProTech helmets. You know, so I did a lot of their images. And then that gives me the opportunity to go on trips. Like I did a Northwest trip with uh, Liam Pace and Gavin Bocker and Jesse, Jesse from uh, Seattle. Water. Uh, so I get to do that stuff, and that's cool. And I shoot a lot of backyard pool stuff because those guys aren't really stressing out about where their photos go, you know. Um, you know and it allows me to be me, you know. And I get enough ads and stuff like that that – I get some money, but I yeah. would, I would like to do a magazine because I think skateboard needs a magazine that kind of. And again, a magazine is more of a media company which does more than just the print, but to show the different scenes in skateboarding, not just to be about all the pros, you know, or who's the most popular. It should be about those skateboarding scenes or different kinds of skateboarding or the creative parts of skateboarding that we're not really getting right now. You know, we're just being fed like it's all gnarly. Here's the video parts. Like that's cool, but there's a lot more to do with skateboarding than just that, you know. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. I, I would love to see a magazine but from you, man. That'd be so awesome. I'd be. I know me, Carl, and the rest of the skateboard world be promoting it and supporting you like a hundred percent, you know. Well, right on. <laughs> well, cool, cool. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for what you have done for skateboarding, photography, you know, giving so much for us as kids and upcoming kids to see what, what beautiful capture that you got, man. I just want to say thank you so much for what you have done. Right on. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, I want to thank... Um, you, Dave, uh, Big uh, Big Brother Gig, uh, Ricky Roberts III, and want to thank all you guys for coming on the show. Uh, I'd like to thank the sponsors, uh, Keen Ramps, Lowell Farms, uh, Lakai. Uh, list goes on and on. If I forgot you, I apologize. But this is it. Season three is done. All right. See you guys awesome. season four, brothers. Peace. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, we are Big Mother Gig. The song is called Past the Sun. Even though I reached the back of 
your big mother gig.